I remember my mom put an egg in my lunch once or whomever did it, but it wasn't, I went to go thinking it was a hard boiled and it was raw. Stop so that it. was, yeah. So that was the kind of parenting. My parents were not big time adulting. They were not <laughs> adulting. Welcome to Big Time Adulting, the podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Murray. Buckle up and get ready to take it deep on life, relationships, parenthood, and everything in between. Join in with me to feel deeply, provoke your inner spirit, and laugh or cry because we all know it's a pretty fine line. Welcome back to the Big Time Adulting Podcast. I am just, I'm about to pee my pants with excitement in letting you know who my fucking guest is here today. The one and only Chelsea Handler. I honestly can't even believe that I'm saying this out loud right now, but Chelsea, welcome to the Big Time Adulting Podcast. Oh my God. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Good morning. And I just had to tell Chelsea that my real name is Caitlin and not big time adulting. Although you can call me whatever you want. I'll probably just stick to big time adulting. It's very mellifluous. (laughs) It flows right off the tongue. You think so? It's like, I I guess I could have put some alliteration in there, but whatever. It is what it is. I'm sticking with it. Um, so Chelsea, everybody will obviously already know who you are, but you're an author of six books, um, New York times, bestselling author, started numerous TV shows, have comedy specials. You're currently touring for your little big bitch tour. I am. Yes. It's called little big bitch tour and you can get tickets at chelseahandler.com. I'm announcing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know when this airs, but yes, I'm announcing about 40 more cities. So I've been a fan of you for a really long time, um, since right after college, when your book, Are You There, Vodka, It's Me, Chelsea, came out. And my roommate, who's my best friend, introduced me to the book. I read it then, and I was like, I feel so simpatico with you, because we were pretty avid vodka drinkers as well. Um, do you feel like you just like keep, do you come in contact with a lot of women that you just end up feeling simpatico with just because of who you are and the way that you are? Like, well, I mean, I think there are two frames to it. Like people who are fans of mine, who've, who feel like they relate to what I said. So like you're reaching an audience of people that are simpatico and like, you know, like when I wrote my first book, let me start there. Like it was called, uh, my horizontal life, a collection of one night stands. And it was very hard to get published because people thought it was so, crude or, you know, like a woman talking about sleeping around, blah, blah, blah. And I ended up getting that published. And the reaction from that alone made me realize how not unusual I am, you know, how, how everybody, how, how many more women are just like me and have experienced the same thing. I mean, that's kind of what your twenties are about is screwing around, meeting different guys, blowing men off, getting blown off, all of that. So as I've moved forward and written more books, yes, I always am, uh, I guess, surprised about how many people they speak to. It speaks to, you know, anything I talk about. And I think this is true for everyone. I'm sure you've realized this as well. When you're, when you're speaking from the truth of your own experience, it lands with a very large swath of people that feel exactly the same way you do. You know, you're talking about how difficult it is to be a parent. I'm talking about the benefits of not, never having children. And we're both speaking to a very big audience. Yeah, absolutely. I totally um, relate to what you're saying in that way, especially as to like saying something that's a little bit maybe like taboo to some people, but then being like, wow, I feel really fucking validated because all of these people are feeling the same way as me. And I think that 
you were actually one of the first women to write about stuff like that. And, and it was kind of like groundbreaking at that time. When was that? That book, like 2004? Two, I have no idea. I have no anyway, sense of time. Okay. I mean, <laughs> Monday or Friday today. So <laughs> actually me neither. Um, so I have like a couple of just nosy, stupid, fucking mundane questions about you. Like, do you cook? Not well. You you like on your shows you would have dinner parties a lot, but so yeah, that they was were being, being cooked by somebody. Yeah, no, no, no. I would never be able to cook for a dinner party. Like you there have are a like a dish, like a special. yeah, egg whites. I can scramble some egg yeah. whites in the morning and put some like spinach and you know I douse everything in parmesan just because I don't have time to really figure out a recipe. So that usually works. And what else can I cook? Um, oh, I can I can bake a chicken. My great friend, my friend, not a not a full chicken, but a chicken breast. My friend gave me a recipe when I was in Whistler during like COVID, and you couldn't go out. Like I was quarantining. Oh for two yeah, weeks. that's a conundrum. He gave me a chicken recipe, a breast of chicken, and you put it in at four twenty for three for twenty three minutes at four hundred and twenty degrees, and it will be crispy and nice Ooh. on the outside, and then juicy on the inside. And that recipe. I can cook and every time it's delicious. <laughs> Have you exercised today, by the way? I see you doing some of your workouts on Instagram. You're badass, like doing 50 pound kettlebell splits. Oh yeah, that's like. with my trainer, the dynamo, Ben Bruno. No, I haven't <laughs> exercised today because this weekend I did eight shows in um, Irvine at the Improv because I'm ready to launch my new tour, as you mentioned. So I did nine shows last week at Nash in Nashville in five days. And then this week I did eight shows. So I am wrecked. And I told Ben Bruno this morning, I'll let him know if I feel like working out today, but it doesn't look optimistic. And then this is just a random one because I despise, I loathe, loathe making lunches for my kids for, for school. Do you, do you remember having like a favorite lunch as a kid for go-to school lunch. Are you fucking kidding me? My parents were the worst. I was the youngest <laughs> of six children. So lunch, my dad would hand me like a $20 bill and be like, here, I'm like, first of all, they don't break 20s at the cafeteria, dad. I'm in first grade. <laughs> and then when they did make lunch, it was like embarrassing because there were no, it was like cream cheese and jelly sandwiches. I'm like, dad, <laughs> peanut butter and jelly, not cream cheese and jelly. No one's eating that. And don't, and then my mom would, I remember one day they, and I didn't even have, you know, everyone had lunch boxes that were in style, like Ms. Pac-Man or Q-Bird or whatever the hell was going on at that time, Barbies. And then I remember my parents, you know, never had any of that stuff for me. Everything I had was hand-me-downs for my brothers and sisters. Speaking of your parents, I did want to ask you about your mom, because I know that she passed from a long battle with breast cancer. And that was like the same year that your show started, um, the Chelsea yeah. Handler show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and like I, my son had leukemia and I was, you know, doing my online stuff, like being funny during that time. And I was kind of just wondering from your perspective, like as you're rising to fame and getting a show and a special, what was that like for you to have to like be funny during that really sad time of your life? You know, it was interesting. It was kind of just like there was an ending happening and a beginning happening. And my mom had been suffering for so long that for me, her passing finally was a relief. It was just like I wanted her to be out of pain. She was just deteriorating for such a long period of time. And I had moved to California. So my life was beginning in so many ways. You know, I I mean, I had lived here for a while, but like my, my, my professional life was finally starting to take off. I had gotten a new TV show, which was going to be my own TV show. I'd been doing stand-up for 
for, I don't know, probably 10 years at that point. And I was falling in love at the same time. So I had all these beginnings happening as my mom passed away. So it was kind of like a very bittersweet time. I wasn't overly emotionally attached to her going, like I was accepting of it. Whereas at I, I remember looking at my sisters and thinking, oh, they're not going to be okay for a while because they still lived in New Jersey. They had little children that my mom would spend time with. And I was just in a different spot in my life and a different place in my life. But I will say that that was a really beautiful time because of the beginnings of it and what what the you know the possibilities were endless and it was a comfort to be falling in love with someone and all of those things and i would say that my relationship with my mom is definitely intensified after her death there's so much you know kind of mysticism and in the in the moments where i feel like i need her and then i feel her or in the moments where i feel kind of like a reassuring pat on my shoulder or even when i'm skiing and i'm i can be dangerous and take a lot of risks and be you know too adventurous some might say and even in those moments i can feel my mom being like slow down take it easy be careful so i'm very attuned to that only because i've talked to so many people who specialize in like, you know, really like, you know, meditation and spirituality and that stuff has brought me to a much better place with her uh, in terms of like, I almost feel closer to my mom now that she's gone than I did when she was here. That's amazing. That's so awesome to feel that like strength of her presence with you so, so much. That's a, yeah. what, a, what a gift. I know. Um, I know. It's a real gift. And I think the more you believe in that stuff, the more you see, Yeah, you know, so like kind of being narrow minded about spirituality or mysticism or energy and like, you know, all of that stuff, you know, the more you miss if you don't believe it, if you think it's nonsense, then it is nonsense. If you believe it, it becomes real. So it's kind of a very powerful way to have like, you know, that kind of mindset. I also, by the way, needed to let you know that you were the talk of the town at my Easter family brunch yesterday. Um, my husband's uncles were like, Ch- Chelsea Handler? You're talking to Chelsea Handler tomorrow? What time can I can I call in? Uncle Peter was like, what time can I call in? I was like, well, Peter, it's like not a phone call. It's like a, it's a computer thing. And he's like, well, I love your blog. And I was like, Instagram account, that's fine. Anyway, um, <laughs> and then my uncle, my husband's uncle, Maddie was like, that Jesus, great skier, Jesus. She uh, down in the bikini, very tasteful. She wasn't naked. She had the, but you are a ripper on the mountain. Oh, well, I've worked. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I've worked very hard. Skiing is something I'm very passionate about. So I had to work very hard and very long to become good at it. When Did you I was grow like, up a skier? Like as a, a little kid? bit. We skied growing up, but not like that, like what I'm doing now. But I remember I tore my ACL in Zermatt, Switzerland, like probably 10 years ago. And after that, somebody said like, oh, you're not nearly as fearless as you were before. One of my ski guides that I was skiing with in Whistler, he goes, oh, you, I can tell you, you hurt yourself because you're just, you're a little bit more timid. And I was like, what? What? You'd be like, fuck off. Like I, I didn't have to hear that twice. So then I really focused. And like, and then with COVID, I was lucky enough to be able to go spend like three or four months in Canada for like two winters in a row. And all I did was work with a ski guide and get my technique down wow. because I'm very, 
I think, you know, some of us are much more interested in learning when we're older than when we are in school. So that's definitely me. And yes, I've worked very hard to become a good skier. And now I can say that I am one. And you're skiing, you were just skiing with Lindsay Vaughn. Yes, I know. (laughs) That's ridiculous. That's so cool. Um, So I I have a question because this one of the things that like I love about you so much is that you're really like forthcoming forward with everything that you believe in and unapologetic about that, which I think is is kind of what you were saying about your book earlier and what what is sort of like how I talk about motherhood and stuff. It can be hard to be very outspoken that way as a woman still this day and age. And I kind of, I wonder, like, do you ever have, do you ever feel like you're overcoming anything to be out there the way that you are? Or do you just truly just give no fucks? No, I mean, I care, but I, I, I believe that I know what, what to care about, right? Like you can't spend your time worrying about making people like you. That's not natural. And that's not the way to get people to like you by trying that hard. You know, it's like demanding respect. If you demand respect, that's not how you get respect. You get respect by displaying respect, you know, showing respect, demonstrating respect. So I I think, I, I mean, everyone always asks me, you know, like, oh, how do you do this? You don't care. Of course I care. I just don't let that be my driving force or my impetus. I just, my motivation is trying, you know, doing the right thing, what, what I think is right and defending the people that I think that need, uh, you know, an ally or a big loud voice. And I've always been that way. So it's not, it's very natural and it doesn't feel risky for me to like, you know, stick my neck out. Um, yeah. And I've gotten a lot of backlash my whole career. So I'm very used to it. It doesn't really, I mean, when you look where it's coming from, you know, that's also helpful. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's like, agree or disagree it's super respectable just who you are is who you are and you're proud and loud about it and I just I fucking love that about you and well I think I, that's thank you and I just wanted that I wanted to, to re-pivot that back to my mom you know I grew up like I had this conversation recently with one of my girlfriends you our moms didn't get to live these lives you know they sacrificed and and gave up their dreams to become mothers. And in, and when I grew up, you know, your mother wasn't a career woman necessarily. Uh, you know, if, when my mom worked, it was because my dad was broke. It wasn't because she wanted to, or she was realizing her dreams. You know, she was, she had six children. And so like, she sacrificed so much for me. And so when I real like when I live out loud in the way that I do, I'm always thinking of my mom. I'm always thinking of like, look what you were able to create, even though you didn't get to have that. Look, you have three daughters who are, you know, loud and proud who are living their best lives and doing what they want without being apologetic for it and not, you know, so it was kind of an example of what I didn't want my life to be and not as an insult to my mother, but as an acknowledgement to everything that she probably didn't get to do. Yeah, totally. I mean, I personally feel like I overcome that feeling on a day-to-day basis with kind of putting aside guilt for like putting my kids aside and trying to pursue things that I'm doing and passionate about still now today, you know? Um, and so I think that's so nice that you are like paying homage to all the like blood, sweat and tears that your mom put in for you to be exactly who you are and do your fucking thing. Um, Yeah. Well, I think for a while, you know, I looked at my mom and I, and I looked at her and I was like, I don't want to be like that. 
And that was almost, you know, sad because you're like, oh, you know, I remember my dad having like she didn't have her name on the deeds to the house. And I would be like, mom, what the fuck? Like you, what if you guys get divorced? You have no rights. You have no this. And and my mom would be like, oh my God, Chelsea, you're so, you know, we're not getting divorced. And I'd be like, I know, but you have no agency. And I was always so frustrated with her instead of respecting her choices. I was kind of like, I wanted to get as far away from them as possible. And it's only with age and maturity that I realized, oh, she was doing, you know, not necessarily the best that you can, because I don't buy that shit. Not everybody. I hate when people are like, oh, they're doing the best that they can. It's like, uh, this person could be doing a little fucking better. Okay? I mean, she did send you to school with a fucking raw egg. So yeah, right. So she wasn't doing the best. She could have hard boiled that egg. Um, but, you know, I think when you grow, you get older and you like get more mature and you realize, OK, that, you know, so now I have more of like, a, I don't I'm not angry at her. I'm like, I love her. And I'm like, OK, let me just, I'll break that cycle of, you know, being beholden to anyone. That was very important for me to never be dependent on another person. Yeah. And I, well, and you certainly don't need to be. And I feel like you also, like, as I was asking you the question about, do you have any insecurities about the way that you, you know, are very outspoken, that sort of thing. I can also tell like at the, at the same time being a follower of yours and a fan of yours, that you do really care and have like a giant heart because you're so thoughtful about people. And I mean, like you took your, half of your family in during COVID and like let your nieces and nephews lie all over all your furniture. And, um, like you're, you're very family oriented and you, you clearly have just a gigantic heart. Well, thank you. I mean, I think most people are family oriented. (laughs) I mean, maybe not ISIS, but you know, like everybody else seems to be family oriented and my family's big and we're close because, you know, my my mom passed away. My dad has passed away. We had a brother that passed away. So we're a very tight unit. Um, and we've always been a close family. So that's, yeah, they, they, yeah, they moved in with me for COVID. And then I promptly put my house on the market to send a direct message to all family members that just because I have five extra bedrooms doesn't mean I want any company. <laughs> There's love and there's also, get the fuck out of here already. You've been here for three months. (laughs) I, I feel like I was, I've listened to you now on a couple of podcasts that you've been on recently, um, with Alexander Cooper and then also with Glennon and, uh, just like there's a super, you know, a strong juxtaposition in like, not, you know, you are who you are, but just like what I respected about is, is that you set certain boundaries for the conversations that you're willing to have with who you choose to have those conversations with. Like at this point in your life, like you're, you're an open book. Like I'll tell you whatever you want. If you're the person who I choose to tell, like, is that something that you had to learn in your business or just you come by that naturally? No, I mean, I've always been an open book and I think that's probably what my fans expect from me because that's how I've kind of had, that's my currency. My, that's whole, my whole thing is oversharing, whether it's, you know, whether it's having a bunch of one night stands or whether it's going to therapy or whether it's my brother dying or, you know, all of this stuff or, or whether I'm into, you know, so positive about cannabis and mushrooms and that stuff. Um, that's just been my, that's been my, 
the way I've made a living is by being myself. And so I always stick true to that. You know, there are a lot of people that hold a lot more privacy. They value their privacy. They don't want their children in the public. And I get that too, but that's just not my thing. My thing is to overshare and be honest about it because also, you know, you, I think you always have to remember how many people, again, you're speaking to, how many people you can be helping without even knowing just by telling your truth. Yeah. Has that shocked you along the way? How many people you've helped that way? Oh yeah. I mean, always, it's always shocking. I mean, with my podcast and even, you know, the Glennon Doyle podcast you mentioned, I mean, I had 42,000 new DMs after that episode came wow. out of women. I mean, I couldn't even get through them, obviously. Just ridiculous. I was like, oh my God. When I saw that number, it was just crazy about how many women related to, you know, breaking up and, and also elevating the conversation and maturing beyond what the way I would have acted during a breakup five years ago or 10 years ago and understanding like it's just a breakup. We all survive it and it's okay. And it's nice to do it with grace because there's no worse feeling than looking back at, you, your breakups with friends or with boyfriends and regretting your immature, nasty name calling or, you know, whatever the behavior was, not being proud of yourself is, is an icky feeling. So it's so nice to go into something that's very difficult that you don't want to do and handle yourself with dignity and grace and handle the other person in the same way. And then look back at that time and be like, oh, this is so valuable for me, and then to realize how many women had, you know, re that resonated with was very meaningful and also helped the breakup, you know, like it helped me heal. Honestly, I can't even tell you how um, touching that is that you said yes to coming on my podcast because I DM'd you on a fucking whim. Like she'll probably never even see this. You know, you have 5 million followers. It's really hard to even like see a DM come through at that point. Um, and then you were like, I would love to hit me up in April when <laughs> I have some time. And I did. And then you were like, how about Monday? And I was like, Yes, like I will do. I'll meet you on the moon for this podcast if that's when it works for you. But um, like that was just such a stand up thing for you to do. And you just I've seen like you're so busy. Like you said, you've been doing shows out the ass and you're just were away and now you're back and getting ready to do more shows. And just for you to you give a lot of yourself. That's like wonderful of you. And I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that you agreed to come on here. It's really like you opened a door for me. This is a big step for me. You're the first celebrity person that I've interviewed on my podcast before. And it feels a huge day for me. Oh, I love that. Oh. See, it's all worth it. It's so sweet. I'm so happy. Yeah, you're the best. I honestly oh. am just on cloud nine today. And, oh. um, and I, I was like, thinking of all the other questions that I, I mean, your, your posts about <laughs> ma, like what it, the joys of like not having yeah. children basically is, are so spot on and they're so hilarious. And frankly, they're porn for moms. So it's just like, say it again, you know, tell me more. Um, but like, you are an aunt, you have a lot of nieces and nephews and your, your sisters have kids. And I just, um, I kind of wonder, like, 
from all the shit that you see out there with different parenting styles and it's like you keep kind of keep up with mom like you follow me for some reason and like also scary mommy and stuff like so you kind of know what's going on in that mom world like what advice would you give to to mothers yeah Um, no, I do see a lot of parenting because I mean, obviously most of my friends are, have kids. I I have a a bunch of friends that are single or, or don't have children and aren't single, but yeah, most of my friends do have kids. So I do see, you know, across the board parenting. And I think the only, you know, the only, I'm not going to give hot parenting tips, but I would say (laughs) that you start that. I know I was at one point I was going to write a book called hot parenting tips, like a coffee (laughs) table book about what I want to see in children. Because obviously when you, you just don't want children to be assholes, right? You don't want yes. people crying, crying, throwing tantrums, throwing themselves on the floor. You don't want to be on a plane listening to somebody scream. I mean, baby screaming is one thing, but toddlers and children screaming is quite another. Um, or at a restaurant, you know, I just, you know, the decibel is too much. But I... Uh, I really do appreciate when I see cool parents and parents that aren't like over parenting and that are letting children breathe and be who they are and, and understanding the relationship that you don't own your child. You know what I mean? Your child is not your property. Your child is an extension of you and you're here to guide them through the world in whatever way you can. And obviously, you know, from your experience with your son having leukemia, it's like you, that is the worst fear of any parent to not be able to protect your child. Right. And you're, job is solely to protect them and instruct them and guide them, but not to indoctrinate or, or, you know, make them something that you are, you know, when you see kids that are cool and that have their own line of thinking and that, and that are respectful and that can engage with adults. You know, if you can engage with me as a six or seven year old, I'm down and I'm interested because I have something to learn from you. I know that. But when kids are just shitty and bratty and <laughs> and throw like I have a friend whose kid throws her iPad in her mother's face and I'm like, oh my God, that is so ridiculous. You know what I mean? I you have weaponized this like, you know, media. And I know parents are up against this. Like if I had kids, they'd be on fucking iPads all day. But, um, you know, that's what you have to think about when you're having a kid and you're bringing them into the world. Like what kind of parent am I going to be? Am I going to be a half-assed parent or am I going to be like 150% parent? Because I don't think you have the right to do it unless you're 150% in. Yeah. And then so much of what you're saying is so true about like, um, knowing that you don't like own your child and they have their, their own life and path and all of that. And coming to terms with that as, as a mother, especially I feel like moms as like more, more primary caretaker roles of like doing so much and becoming martyrs in a lot of way to, to their families and to their children. And then realizing one day these kids are on their own path, they're leaving, they're going. And I have to still like, I have to, now who am I, right? Like, um, still maintaining your identity. So yeah, well, right. That too, because there's nothing less attractive than somebody who has a baby and all they do is talk about the baby. It's like, okay. So fucking boring. It is. I mean, I've had friends that I'm like, I'm, I can't be friends with you anymore if you're going to be like this, because okay? I'm not interested. Like, yeah, I can look at your cute baby, but like, I'm not that interested. 
I don't want to hear about that 24 hours a day. And so, yeah, that's kind of annoying when people are like consumed by parenting too, because that is a loss of identity, right? Yeah. And also just like, it's, you think that you have to do everything and be everything and make this child fit to a certain way in life and that it's all a reflection of you and just kind of being able to extricate your ego from parenting. You know, that's one of the hardest parts, like leaving your ego aside with everything in life though, too, you know? Yeah, no, ego is a big problem for most things. I remember when my, it was so funny, my sister was with me, my sister Simone and her three kids were with me during COVID. And I was just stoned all day long. Like there was nothing going on at our house. It was like, you know, get up, do a puzzle, read a book and to get, get in the pool. Like there was nothing happening. Um, and, but it was really pleasant and enjoyable because I didn't have any work to be doing. I was just hanging out, reading books and, you know, being stoned. And I remember my niece upstairs with me, uh, she was talking to me about something and I just remember feeling so judged by her. <laughs> and I was like, how old is she? I'm like, she's like 20. She was 22 at the time. And I was like, does she think I'm just some rich bitch who just like sits around and does drugs all day and that I, that I have no value system or like, I just had all these. And I remember talking to my friend and she's like, Chelsea, I think you're smoking too much weed. Like your niece does not give a fuck about you. She is in her own world. She's 22 years old. It has nothing to do with you. And you are like, you're totally like not even thinking clearly. And it was so true because you know, it's, that's all ego. Like my, my niece isn't worried about my personality. She's worried about what's going on in her life. Um, so, and and I just imagine, you know, with parenting, I remember thinking like, oh God, that must come into play all the times with parenting, you know, like as, as kids, I remember what it was like being a kid. Like I couldn't, I didn't ever think about my parents' personal life or anything other than they were belonged to me. Like they were in charge of me and they weren't doing a good enough job. And <laughs> I didn't think like, does my mom, is my mom happy? Does she have a life? Does she have enough friends? Are my parents' relationship healthy or is my parents' relationship healthy? All those things, you know, you, the framework of, of, of a child's brain or a young adult's brain versus an adult's brain is very different. So there's also that to consider. And that's ego-based as well, right? Yeah, you never like you never think of your parents as like an autonomous human being a, a, until you become like a grown up, you know, until right. you become like the age that they were when you were a kid and you're like, oh shit, this is how old my parents were when I was in the third grade or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and then like with the kids, you know, with the with the ego and with your niece and the things that people say that trigger like that response in you that you're like, wait a second, what is it? What is it wrong with me right now? Why am I so triggered by worrying about what a 22 year old or like my seven year old thinks about this right now or their behavior Absol- is pissing me off? Why am I so pissed off right now? Yeah, absolutely. And it's also interesting just to always play with like what your motivation is in any circumstance, right? Because usually it is ego-based and ego-driven. And yeah. so it's hard to take, especially in my business, you know, that's all it is, or that's all it can be if you let it be that way. So you have to really kind of dig deep and be like, okay, why am I doing this? Am I doing this to be seen? Am I doing this to be heard? Am I doing this because I want to show off my body? What am I doing? And what's my motivation? And as long as you square all that away, then you have kind of a healthier boundary and understanding of your own, you know, uh, motivations for things and why you do things. So yeah. Uh, 
I cannot imagine what that must be like in your business to maintain like your strong sense of self throughout all of the bullshit that goes on in like Hollywood. Yeah. Well, I, I, that's why I remain very close with my family because they are normal and I spend a lot of time out of LA as, as often as I can, you know, ski season, I'm up in Whistler all the time. I have a place up there and my friends up there are not in the industry. They don't watch TV. They don't know who anybody is. That's really fun and refreshing for me. And I think because I don't have a family and because I don't have a husband, you know, my identity many for my entire adult life has been my career. Like that's how people know me. So I realized that when I think when I quit Chelsea lately or when I left Netflix, one of those shows I was just was, I just had had it with that being my, it felt so one dimensional. I'm like, I have to get, I have to cultivate other things in my life. This can't be the only thing that I'm defined by my career. I have to have relationships that are meaningful and experiences that have nothing to do with being on TV or being, you know, in the public eye. So, you know, once I squared that away, and that was pretty young, I realized that. Well, not young, but young in my career, probably like, you know, in my early 30s, I was like, okay, this just can't be all there is. I have to make sure. And so that's a very, that's an effort that I continually have to remind myself, like, okay, it's, you can, you know, some people in this industry don't like to take time away from being in front of people. And time away is the most important thing you can take because without experiencing life, it's, Almost like, what does someone like me have to say? In order for me to do a new hour of stand-up, I have to have experiences that I can, you know, take from. And I, I can't just keep performing and keep performing. Like, I have to take some time, you know, develop some new material and then write a book or do a tour or, you know, whatever I'm going to do. Yeah, you've been doing all of this for a long time, too. And you started, like, you came to fame as a pretty young woman. And so who were, like, any, was there anyone who kind of, like, was a, a a way paver for you or somebody who, like, opened doors for you as a young woman or inspired you a lot? Um, oh, God. I mean, so many people. I don't know that I was ever modeling my career. I mean, Bill Cosby was a huge inspiration. <laughs> Look that, it Where that landed. <laughs> So, I mean, no, not in the sense that I was mimicking anyone's career because I didn't even think I was going to do stand up. That was an accident as well, a happy accident. And it came from a really bad decision I had made. It turning, I ended up finding out how to do stand up, which ended up being the best decision I ever made because it's led to all of my career paths and my talk shows and everything. So, uh, I don't even remember what the question was. I think I'm rambling. No, just like if you had people who were really good to you or you looked up to or that just you aspired towards. Yeah, it wasn't that much. I I mean, of course there are people I always look up to. You know, like I worship Jane Fonda. I love, uh, you know, people that stand for something. But I never modeled my career after that, I'm not strategic like that. Like I don't sit down and say, okay, I have a five-year plan. I just kind of go where the mood takes me. You know, sometimes I'm in the mood to do stand-up. I took a six-year break from stand-up because I didn't feel like I had anything important to say. And now I'm on my third tour in three years because I'm so into it right now. You know, I took a break from writing books. I, but now I'm, you know, I just signed another book deal. So I have, I'm writing another book and I don't know. I I find out, you know, like things kind of come my way when it's the right time. 
Um, and I just try not to take myself too seriously in the sense that like, okay, I have to, I'm not rigid. I don't have to be doing this in this amount of time or whatever. Like, I just don't look at things like that. I think that, that it's better to be a little bit more comfortable not knowing where everything is headed and having the own kind of your own self-confidence and knowing that you're going to be fine, whichever direction you take, you know, it's just about, Sometimes you have to decide which direction you want to go in, and there is no right or wrong answer. The, the right answer is the answer you choose. Yeah, but I, I I find a lot of comfort in what you're saying about not having like a five year plan or everything plotted out in life and how you want this to work out and that. Because first of all, that's fucking silly because we really can't plan anything anyway. Yeah. Life will take its turns, but um, but just like that keeps you relevant too. I think because you just do what is inspiring you at the time in the moment and you can just, you know, build off of what's now, um, which is kind of way more exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And it's nice to have a good attitude about everything. You know, if you have, I mean, I had many years of just being flying everything by the seat of my pants. I I didn't really, I wasn't grounded. And, you know, when I went to therapy, when I was 40, it had a huge impact on me in the sense of, Okay, like now you, 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 the gift of self awareness, the gift of understanding that a good attitude and a positive attitude breeds so much goodness and negativity. Getting rid of negativity in your life is so important because the minute you choose to be more positive and to be a brighter outlook, and you kind of dismiss the like, I'm not going to sit around and gossip about my friends anymore. I, I did that when I was in my 20s and 30s, and I stopped it. You know, my energy shifted. I realized that's reducing myself, and it's not a respectful way to be. And as soon as you have that attitude towards life, everything just starts coming your way in a different way. The positivity starts, You would, when you're positive, that's what you attract. When you're negative, that's what you attract. And I knew that because I had heard it and I had read it, but I hadn't lived it. And now I live that way and it feels, even when there's something stressful going on, I just am not reactive in that way anymore. I'm just like, okay, well, that didn't work out. Let's go over here. Or, you know, I don't get mad. I don't scream. I don't yell. I don't lose my shit like I did before. So that also has been a great life lesson for me in terms of staying the course. Like, you know, not everything works out the way that you want it to, but it's your reaction that is the most important thing to when things don't work out. Yeah, totally. It's really the only thing that we have control over in life. And then it does, though, take so much more strength to say, like, not let the negative thoughts, feelings, whatever infiltrate, because it's easy to let that take over. And it's harder to almost be focused on positive at sometimes if that's, you know, like people will make one negative comment on the internet or something. And that'll be the thing that sticks with you out of thousands of beautiful things that somebody has said. So yeah, um, yeah, that's for sure. That happens a lot. Yes. Yeah. And you just have to, blah, 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 blah. um, well, I have just one last question for you before I, you go, because you are have been so generous with your time and I'm so appreciative, but on Instagram, I usually like, I close out a lot of the shit that I say with get, get yourself a snack, which is basically like, you know, just forget it. Don't worry about the other stuff. But also, what is your favorite snack? 
I would have to say, I would honestly would have to say a joint is my favorite snack. <laughs> I like these little dog walker joints that I have. And I, yes, I'm about to go meet my friend for lunch. And I was just thinking about what kind of sm- uh, joint I was going to smoke on my way over. <laughs> well, then that's my snack. You're going to have something <laughs> delicious after that. That makes everything better after that, right? Um, I would say pomegranates are my favorite thing to snack on, though. Oh I love God. pomegranate so seeds. healthy. They're so, no, they're so sugary and they're so delicious though. Just spoonfuls of pomegranate seeds. I love that. A little crunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm not a real junk food person. Only if I'm like, you know, if I've lost all will to live and I'm exhausted, <laughs> then I'll eat potato chips and all that stuff. But I mean, I'm 48, so I have to have my shit together. You know yeah, what I mean? You do Especially if I want to, if I want to drink and smoke, you know, liberally, then I have to keep my shit together. So that's what I do. Yeah. You look great. Oh, thanks. Bikinis down the mountain. You have such a set of balls on you and you you don't need to because you look so awesome anyway. But um, I thank you for being here. I really appreciate you and the generosity that you've shown me and just um, who you are and showing up every day and doing your working so much, creating content, doing tours. And I would love to help uh, do my little part in help promoting your new dates. And I hope I get to see you. I hope if you're coming to New York, I'll come to your show. Yeah. Is that where you are, New York? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. I'll be announcing New York tomorrow. So we'll have to, we can meet in person. You'll have to come backstage and say hello. Amazing. I would love that. Um, All right. Well, listen, go have a great lunch with your friend. Thanks so much for coming. Oh, thanks, Caitlin. What a pleasure. Bye, Chelsea. Bye. So I want to take 30 seconds to talk about Perfect Bar, who is making this episode possible. These are nutrient-packed protein bars. They have this like amazing cookie dough-like texture that I love. My favorite flavor is the coconut peanut butter. They also have a snack size available, which is just right up my alley, obviously. My favorite snack size flavor is the dark chocolate chip. And what I truly love most about these bars is that I trust them. So they're refrigerated because they're not jammed with preservatives and they contain real whole foods. So do yourself a favor and try out Perfect Bars. Thanks so much for being here. For more information on today's episode, visit my show notes. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a review. Now get yourself a snack.